welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time back for another episode of our trying pod ben has a white oxford shirt a bag of fuel in the background he's ready to go how are you Come on. how are you <laughs> i'm well i'm well you are wearing a very colorful is it floral it's is hawaiian it's hawaiian that? shirt yeah so uh we're doing vbs at our church this week hashtag making way and i am wearing a hawaiian shirt most days because um, i'm with the kids playing soccer today was soccer and water balloon toss for our games Ooh, um tomorrow. uh i don't know we haven't figured it out yet but it's kind of funny this is uh we've been texting about this me and ben offline but how both of us are just like yeah we're old man <laughs> you know like wow we went from being like the cool young adult passers to like the old people in a blink of an eye so that some of the kids are referring to me as sog which is an acronym for suspicious old guy. That's that's how they refer to me. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously fun. I is think. that like your resting bee face? Like they're just like, oh, he looks like he's a... Uh... No, we were playing this game the first day. Like it's like a gaga ball. I think it's what it's called. It's like a game that you know, kids play. And they're like, who are you? Like, who's this old guy? And then one of the other kids was like, yeah, he's a suspicious old guy. And then it just like caught fire. And now it's like what all that they call me. That's when you have to immediately beat them at the sport that you're playing. You have to like dominate and then they just shut up. So we were playing soccer today and I was playing against um, children, second grade and below. And I actually scored a pretty impressive goal, I have to admit. And they were so mad at me for it. And so like the whole time we walked back from the field of the church, they're like, that goal wasn't real. You were cheating. You, that was make-believe. You were making that up in your head. It was really, really funny. And you can't even impress these young people anymore. No, man. no. Gosh, what are these? Are these uh, Generation Z or is this below that? What's next? What's after um, Z? You mean back to A? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. are they worse than Circle of Life? Else? Well, they're or, not. They're, they're 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 pre phones, so they still function like normal human beings at this oh, point. Okay, which is good. Okay. All yeah. right, man. So Psalm sixty six is uh, one of the appointed psalms for today, and it goes like this: Be joyful in God, all you lands. Sing the glory of His name. Sing the glory of His praise. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds! Because of your great strength, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down before you, sings to you, sings out your name. Come now and see the works of God, how wonderful he is in his doing toward all people. He turned the sea into dry land so that they went through the water on foot. And there we rejoiced in him. In his might, he rules forever. His eyes keep watch over the nations. Let no rebel rise up against him. Bless our God, you peoples. Make the voice of his praise to be heard, who holds our souls in life and will not allow our feet to slip. Bent to heart, your enemies cringe before you. Mm. What can you do with this psalm? Yeah, well, I think right off the bat, I think we got to be clear that this is only the first eight verses of Psalm 66. I'm going to obviously focus on these, but the next verses really do help us make sense of what we just read. What we just read is directed to all the nations, 
Uh, and it's kind of like some of the songs we've looked at. Uh, the psalmist says, sing, say, come and see. So it's this like kind of very much a praise. It's directed at the nations out there. So they're supposed to sing the glory of God. They are supposed to say his awesome deeds and come and see now what he's doing. And what are we singing about? What are we saying? What are we coming and seeing? Or seeing his mighty works, his in this, uh, in verse two, his awesome deeds, uh, these works for us, uh, that he saved us. Again, pointing back uh, to the Exodus, that, that great salvific uh, moment for the people of Israel. But what I find interesting about this is it's not really, it's not really directed to Israel. It's directed toward all people, to the nations. It's kind of anticipating, it, there's a prophetic element to it. Obviously, all the nations are not singing, saying, and coming and see, but there is this, this kind of prophetic reach to this, which I guess as Christians, we say is reached by the work, the death and resurrection of, of Christ. Uh, and yet I still think for, even for us, there's this kind of eschatological thing that God's rule, uh, his kingdom is here, but it's still coming. Uh, God's rule is eternal, but we don't really see it yet. Um, before I go further, anything you like or dislike about all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I was wondering, like, I wonder how many times uh, either explicitly or in um, more implicitly, the journey through the Red Sea or the parting of the Red Sea, like it's mentioned in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like every other Psalm that we talk about has it. And there's obviously other references in the Old and New Testaments to this one act. I mean, it has a lot of of real estate to it, right? It's pretty, I don't have any like, so what, but it's just a remarkable fact that it just keeps on coming up and up and up. Like as a student of the Bible, which we are to some degree, the, um, that, that this one event just has such like so many, such a pregnant image. And it's such a powerful display of God's, you know, making a way out of no way, as you like to say, but yeah, that's yeah. all I got. I, li I like this too. I got this from a commentator. I didn't get this on my own, but verse four says, come now and see the works of God, dot, dot, dot. He turned the sea into dry land. Again, what you were talking about with the Exodus. But according to this interpreter, there's this notion, and we, you talked about this a little bit last week of this representation of the act of salvation. It's as if worship transcends time. It's as if, as if in our worship, we're being taken back to that great salvific deed. And I think we see, like we as Christians in our worship sometimes do this when uh, we sing, were you there when they crucified my Lord? It's as if we're being kind of taken back to the actual event. That's how we're now coming and seeing a work that's been done in the past that's being represented now and showing us what our God does in our day and age. Is that yeah. bogus? Do you like that? I mean, no, I've, I've something I've thought a decent amount about because of the, um, the, this is going to sound a little pretentious, but whatever, uh, that like one of the main points that Charles Taylor makes in a secular age that like charts how differently we experience religious commitment now as late modern people, a lot of it has to do with this idea of time and the way that like we, we think of time just self-evidently as this like linear kind of cold thing that just moves inexorably forward. And once something is in the past, it is simply in the past and it can only be accessed by like an internal memory. But one of the things he says, and I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's an interesting thought that like 
the ancients or pre-modern peoples viewed time much more cyclically. And he quotes this line from Hamlet, I think, that's something to the effect of like, you know, on Good Friday, you are closer to the crucifixion than you were like six days after it occurred chronologically because of the way that time works in these like cycles, you know, as it were. I don't exactly know what he means by that, but I, I, I think it has something to do with this kind of biblical idea that you by the grace of God, you can remember, you can feel the power of the Exodus as if it just happened, you know, even though it, it's like the way we experience time objectively happened, however many thousands of years ago. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. And what, I mean, we wouldn't be able to get this from the English translation, but another commentator talks about how in verse five, he turned the sea into dry land so that went, we went through the water on foot. Um, and this commentator says that the Hebrew word for sea is yam, and the word for river is nahar. And yam and nahar are the names of cosmic powers of, of idols. Oh, wow. Cool. Crash down. So there's this notion that the mighty and awesome deeds of God rescues us or saves us. And also, I guess it's kind of the same thing, saves us from these powers that, is in, that have enslaved us. So in the parting of the waters, it's as if God has destroyed this power behind the waters, which, I mean, sounds a whole lot like we sometimes talk about the powers of sin and death. And I wonder if, based on what we're talking about with time and worship transcending time, it's the way we talk about the cross, right? We talk totally. about yeah, exactly. Christus Victor as God has defeated death. And yet, each and every one of us dies. Um, and Luther talks about this a lot. Like there is like, yes, we do believe that at the cross, God has defeated sin and death once and for all. His rule is eternal. But there's also this notion that his kingdom is still coming. It's kind of going back to what we said at the beginning. There's a prophetic reach to this. We have inbreakings of resurrection. And it's as if, you know, the metaphor of of uh, the allies storming Normandy, and at least in 2004, when I was in school, everyone said, well, when the allies stormed Normandy, we knew the war was over, but it didn't mean there weren't super bloody battles till the allies got to Berlin, because the powers that have been defeated don't acknowledge it and are raging against it. Um, and I, yeah, I kind of, I wonder if we can appropriate the psalm as Christians, maybe even they could as, as, as people, the people of Israel after the Exodus as God has delivered us. And it seems like this Psalm too is not just talking about the Exodus uh, event, but also a return from exile, the new Exodus. And so for those of us who've experienced all three mighty acts of God, we're essentially saying, yes, God has won. We know the ending. We know these powers are going down, but we're also going to, you know, we're anticipating this too. Mm -hmm. We're like praising, but also yearning for this. And here's a little bit of a transition to the part of the Psalm that we don't read, uh, which is kind of a bummer. We don't read it because all this singing, this saying, this coming and seeing of these mighty acts of God are done in the context of, as you read later in this Psalm, we have been tried by fire and water, um, which people say is, is a reference to the exile. So it's not like we're singing praises to God because we're all happy and everything's going good. The rest of the psalm talks about how 
this joy has been burst out of this great refining process. Um, we have been proved, we've been refined like silver. And it's, and even that has been part of God's way of, of saving us. So again, I, I think that helps maybe the average listener to this, or helps me <laughs> anyway, of this, uh, of joy on the other side of pain, the other side of oppression. Again, this is in the context of they are returning from exile. They have been oppressed. Um, I, I talked to, in my sermon this past uh, Sunday about this, these great, these two great sayings are Andrew Carnegie um, says, he writes in his journal at one point about how um, he's no longer a Christian or on the human march toward excellence. All is well since all grows better became my motto. Man has risen to the higher forms. Um, perfection is without a grasp. And then World War I happens and he's lost all his optimism. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about how he, he's barely holding on to hope at all. And I think what we get from Psalms like this are in the never ending cycles of optimism and despair in our culture. And right now we seem to be in a real culture of despair. Will the nation hold together? Would do any of us like anyone who doesn't agree with us? Um, that we, we have hope in the midst of exile, uh, that God is doing something. Um, we, we, we look to the resurrection, which is mm. represented to us every time we worship. Yeah. Um, so we, we are not subject to the, the waves or cycles of optimism and despair. We are those with hope. And I think that, that this, this psalm on the other side of pain is hopeful. No, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, I think another thing that's just worth pointing out is how strange it is that this psalm opens with the command to be joyful in God. Uh, and it, I think there is such a beautiful, positive, constructive vision of what it means to be a reader of scripture as Christians, you know, follower of Jesus, that the command, the first thing you hear is to be joyful in God, not to be submissive to God, be obedient to God, be grateful to God. It's like the apologetic on view here is joy and that there is something like the most appropriate emotion, I suppose, to having God's deliverance from times past be brought into the present. That the, the, the emotional register of that is joy. Um, yeah. And that is like that more than any other, I mean, this is maybe potentially not true, but let's just go for it. Uh, more than any other thing, that should be what people notice about those who claim to be believers in the God who, you know, led, led them through the the dry sea on foot is joy, like unshakable joy. Uh, and I, I just, you know, and I, I admit my own lack of joy often in, in the Lord, but that is such a, um, yeah, it's, I mean, wouldn't that be such a wonderful thing if that's what characterized? And that was like the public perception of communities of faith, you know, in yeah. Birmingham or in Raleigh of like, man, these people are rock ribbed in their joy. Like that's, yeah. it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I'm a negative Nancy. Um, but the truth of our faith is that Christ has defeated mm -hmm. sin and death, that death is overcome, that despair will be no more. It's just true. 
So that doesn't mean we can just force ourselves to be joyful, but yeah, sometimes we got to impute that to ourselves because like we remind ourselves what is true. Yep. God has won in Jesus. There'll be no more tears. I'd like to be more joyful. <laughs> yeah, man. Amen. All right. It's good note right. to end on. Why don't you pray us out? Be joyful in God, all you lands. Sing the glory of his name. Sing the glory of his praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great strength, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down before you, sings to you, sings out your name. Come now and see the works of God, how wonderful he is in doing toward all people. He turned the sea into dry land so that they went through the water on foot. And there we rejoiced in him. In his might, he rules forever. His eyes keep watch over the nations, but no rebel rise up against him. Bless our God, you peoples. Make the voice of his praise to be heard, who holds our souls in life and will not allow our feet to slip. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast. <laughs>